Welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord be with all of us gathered here and all around God's good world as we attempt to give our minds attention and hearts affection toward the only one worthy. As we move into a time of study now in worship, I want to invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, please. Listen, we're going to do this a little differently today. We're going to get to Psalm 139 at the end of our sermon. We're going to lead our way up to the text so that when we arrive at this text, my prayer is that we might see this scripture through a different set of eyes. This is the most beautiful psalm and my favorite in the entire Psalter. But we'll make our way there in just a moment. Today we continue with our series available. We only have two sermons left in this series today and next Sunday. And these many weeks together, we have been attempting to marvel at the great mystery of a God who would choose to become available to us. And not just available to, you know, like all humankind, but available to each of us. And in that divine availability that we see in the person of Jesus, there's this desire that we pick up on in the character of Jesus, a a desire that God has that we might become available back to God. And in becoming available back to God, then we somehow, beyond our own reckoning, are included, invited, welcomed, and I would even say called to join God in the holy work of repairing and redeeming and restoring the broken parts of this world, what could be more beautiful than that invitation? And, and yet, of all the ways we've talked about becoming available to God these many weeks, there is one area we have not addressed We've talked about how to make yourself available, how to recognize the call in your life, what to do when you get stuck, how do you get unstuck. We've talked about all of this, but there's one area that we have not yet addressed. And I want to talk about it today based on a couple of conversations I had a few weeks ago. After our mobilization fair, I had two or three conversations with two or three of our senior adult members in this church who were at the fair who said to me, I love this. This energy is so good. It feels like there's a rebound. It feels like there's a renewal happening and I'm all in. But then in one way or another, each of them in their own way said the same thing to me. I love this church and I am available to do whatever I can. It's just, I regret the fact that I can't do what I used to do because I'm old. You know what I love? Uh, What I love, one of the most charming things about the oldest members among us is that they are the least insulted by being called old. (laughs) 
they take the least offense. They're the ones who, hey, I've earned these years. I'm going to wear them proudly, right? I mean, I remember when I was in Tennessee, I was walking down the hallway at First Baptist Church of Etowah where I was serving, and Lillian Miller, 90 years old, one lung, was walking down the hall and I saw her struggling. She was leaning against the wall out of breath and I came up to her, Lillian, are you, you okay? Are, are, you, are you okay? No. I said, well, what, what's wrong? What can I do? What's wrong, Lillian? She said, well, I'm old. <laughs> like, like, what's wrong with you? I'm old, can't you see? I love that there is a generation among us who is least offended by being called. Now, there are some generations among us who are offended by everything. <laughs> but thanks be to God for those who are offended not by being called old. Let my old sisters and brothers say amen. Amen. <laughs> some of y'all should have said amen. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying. I saw them. Anyway, what, 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 what baffles me is that sometimes... Regardless of age, we sometimes don't play by the rules of our age, do we? Last week, I'm talking to Monty Nichols, our worship pastor. We're in his office. He said, there's somebody I want you to meet. Maybe next week I can introduce him to. I said, great. Where's he from? What's his name? What's he do? What's he up to? And then I said, like what? Like how, like how old a guy is he? And, and Monty says, well, you know, our age. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sometimes the rules don't apply, see, I, I love that. Do you know that on some Saturdays I show up here at the church because if the sermon is not done, I'm back at the church doing the thing, getting ready for Sunday morning, and do you know every Saturday that I show up, every Saturday that I show up, there is a car in the parking lot that belongs to Harold Hyde. I didn't tell Harold I was gonna mention his name because then he wouldn't give me permission to talk about him. Harold is one of our mature members, been around a little while, but do you know what he does every Saturday morning? Every Saturday morning, Harold Hyde comes down here by himself and sets out all of the materials and supplies and crafts for all of the classes that we teach our children in on Sunday mornings so that all of the teachers will have their materials, their supplies, their lessons organized and ready for when they show up. Now, Harold doesn't teach the lessons. He doesn't play the games. He doesn't make the crafts. He prepares an environment so that those who are called to that particular task have what they need. That has caused me to want to talk about something today. It's not only inspiring, it's compelling. What does it look like to remain available as we age through the lifespan. What does it look like for us to remain available as we age through the lifespan? Because it is true that as we age, some things change, but one thing that does not change is the call of God on our lives. Now that question that I have in front of us is not just for the snow crowned among us, as scripture would say. I didn't make that up, I admit you. It's for all of us, because here's what I've observed to be absolutely true. Every new age and stage that we enter into throughout the lifespan that we live, every single new stage we enter will bring with that new stage a new batch of reasons why we should remain unavailable to God. Right? 
every stage, no matter what stage, no matter what age, there will arise a new cadre of reasons that we seem to justify as viable reasons why we should say no to the invitation of God to be part of what God's up to. So children become teenagers. And my friends, the things that teenagers have to manage these days I mean, they're trying to try on a, a, a new, new persona, a new skin. Who will I be in this world and how will I orient in this life and who will be my people and who will not be my people and how am I gonna identify myself as an autonomous human being in the world all the while with their bodies and their minds, their brains, their hearts going through all kinds of transitions. They ought to have every viable reason to say, no, I'm sorry, I have no time to be available to the call of God in my life and then they go to college. And now they think about their major and their classes and their extracurriculars and they have to talk about maybe it's time to start working part-time or maybe full-time to pay for this thing that I'm experiencing and then they graduate from college with excuses, plenty of excuses not to say yes to God but now they're in their 20s and they are in the launching years and now they are occupied by every kind of existential question you can imagine like how will I navigate this journey, will I do it by myself? Who will be my people? Where will I find community? Is the person I am with to be the person? Is it too early to commit or have I waited too long? And there are plenty of reasons in your 20s, 30s to say, sorry, I have no time. And there's plenty of reasons when you begin God willing to start having children when you're up to your elbows in dirty diapers and you're just trying to live from nap to nap to nap. And don't get me started about the post-childhood years and the launching years and the empty nest and when you hit midlife. Now listen, if I had time, I'd preach a series of sermons on what it's like for a man to turn 50 years old and what I can only imagine is for a woman to turn 50 years old and we could talk a little while about how you 75-year-olds have kept this from us the whole time. (laughs) What's with the secret? And we could talk about what it means to have no room to question your life and your faith and to question the places where you imagine, is this me or is the other me? And and have I done everything that I need to do by now? And is there time for me left for a second career? And when is it time to retire? And how do I know when it's time to downsize? We move into our senior years. And every stage that we have, now just throw in a disease, throw in a sickness, throw in a death, throw in a transition, and you will have what is seemingly valuable, valid reasons to say no to every time God comes knocking to say, I'm sorry, I'm unavailable. The only trouble with that is that this Bible is crammed with example after example that gives evidence to the reality that the call of God is no respecter of age or stage. The call of God is no respecter of age or stage. And within the pages of sacred scripture, we see example after example of God calling the young and the very old and everyone in between. Isaiah and Jeremiah were boys when they were called by God. And when Jeremiah protested, I'm way too young, this is what the Lord said. The Lord said in response, before I formed you, I I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And don't forget Samuel, young, little Samuel, working in the temple with old Eli. And he keeps waking up at night hearing a voice. And old Eli knows what it is because he's heard the voice before. And so to young Eli, who has no idea that he's being called to something bigger than himself, this is what we read. Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Or we go to the New Testament and we can find Paul's young apprentice, Timothy, who at times dealt with bouts of low confidence over his inexperience and all the authority that was being given to him, though he didn't deserve it, he so he thought. And Paul famously writes to Timothy these words. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, and why? Because the call of God is no respecter of age or stage. We can think about the disciples who many believe were in their late teenage years when they began to follow Jesus, or at least in the low to mid-twenties when they followed I think about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who I believe were in the middle ages of life, in the thick of their vocational calling, making a name for themselves, serving on the Sanhedrin when God calls in the middle of life. Why? Because the call of God is no respecter of age or stage. And I think about Abraham, who's 75 years old, When God asks him to leave everything that was familiar to him and go to a land he's never seen. I think of Moses who was 80 years old before he even went to speak to Pharaoh about the liberation of the Israelites. And I think about Sarah who gave birth to her firstborn child at the age of 90. And as you read about these and so many other examples in scripture, it gives credence to what was said in Acts chapter two, that there in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And why? Because the call of God is no respecter of age or stage. Now, the truth is, if we're being honest, we believe this is true. God wants and calls all of us. But as we age, some things do change. Somebody say amen, young or old, right? It's like Tony Campolo, the great Baptist preacher and evangelist and sociologist and and professor. He said, I know I'm getting old. He said, because when my wife turns to me on the sofa and says, hey, you want to walk upstairs and fool around? I have to say to her, you're going to have to choose. <laughs> I can either walk upstairs or I can fool around. I can't do both. Right? <laughs> In time, with age, some things change, but one thing that doesn't change is the call of God on you. Now, how that call gets expressed and articulated and lived out in the day-to-day living of your life does shift. But remember, a few weeks ago, I I told you that I think that you, you already, right this minute, know 
about 98% of the will of God for your life. We all know about 98% of the will of God right now. There's no mystery to it. 98% of the will of God in your life is for you to be transformed into the, the image and character of his son, Christ. That's 98% of the call of God in your life is to simply day by day, as each day unfolds and the older you get, to more and more, degree by degree, be transformed into the very character of the Christ of God. Here on earth, the other 2% is everything else. It's where you go to school and how am I gonna make money and where should we live and who do I marry? Who do I pull for in the big game? And how do I respond to the call of God today? Yeah, yeah. So what do you do then? What do you do when you want to make sure that with each changing season of your life, when you move from one stage to the next stage, what do you do if you want to make sure you are being truly attentive to the call of God in that new stage in which you find yourself? I believe it begins with this. Learn to listen to your life. Learn to listen to your life. If, you sound strange, I know, but if you really learn to listen to your life, your life will speak to you about the ways God has already attempted to come to you and to call you out and to walk alongside you and to make you a part of something bigger than you. If you learn to listen to your life, you may learn something about looking backward that tells you something about the right here and right now that changes everything about your future. Paula Darcy puts it this way. God comes to us disguised as our lives. Disguised as your life. It's true. Sometimes you and I expect when, when we somehow want to see God or we want to somehow hear from God or, or experience the call of God in our lives, we expect this big, massive theatrical display like a theophany or some kind of theophanistic display of lights and thunder and smoke and clouds and we want something dramatic. When the truth is, God is more subtle than that. God will not force God's call upon you. God will show up sometimes camouflaged, hidden a little bit, disguised as your life. This is why the resurrection stories unfold as they unfold in the gospels. He shows up and they're overwhelmed by the risen Christ when they meet him, not because they didn't believe that it was possible, not because they didn't want to see him alive, but because they were overwhelmed by the extraordinary ordinariness in which he came to them. Two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and the risen Christ comes like an ordinary stranger walking along the road. Mary is grieving in the garden and he shows up, the risen one, as a gardener in the garden. The fishers are on the boat and he shows up as the one on the beach cooking fish. Sometimes God will show up disguised as your life and if we can learn somehow to listen to our lives, we may see all of the evidences of the places and the times when Jesus has attempted to call us before and if we can pay attention to it, 
we might learn something about what he's wanting from us right now. When I was in Orlando, Florida, I became good friends with my predecessor who was the interim pastor at the church before I came there. His name was Tom Pinner. We shared a birthday month. And in October of 2011, in the October when I turned 40, Tom turned 80 within the span of about one or two weeks. And in a sermon series that I entitled Lifespan, I talked about ages and stages that month, we got on stage together and we had a dialogue in front of the whole church about what it's like to be a pastor at 40 and a pastor at 80 and what we might learn from one another and it was profound. He was one of the most steady, stable, calm, unflappable persons I had ever met. Easy, steady. Tom, how did you do that? How did you get to 80 and not lose your mind? And he would talk to me over coffee and lunch and breakfasts, and we would talk about how he used to spend his Mondays and Tuesdays and what Wednesdays look like and what the Thursday ought to look like and how to navigate the things that you do But I left that conversation inspired by something more than just the conversation. I began a practice that I've told you about before. And at the age of 40, I began to ask myself, what would it be like if the 40-year-old Sean could have a conversation with the 80-year-old Sean? What would the 80-year-old version of me tell me about what I'm going through at the moment? Now, when I have that conversation these days, I have to speak to a 90-year-old version of me. (laughs) I do. And I ask myself sometimes, self, what would the 90-year-old version of me say to the 50-year-old version of me about the things that I am navigating, about the questions I have, about the struggles that I face, about the seasons that I go through? What would the 90-year-old version of me say to me because this is the guy who got to the other side of it. And while I don't always know what the 90-year-old version of me would say to the 50-year-old version of me, here's what I can tell you. I know with absolute certainty what the 50-year-old version of me would say to the 20-year-old version of me. And it would, it would include something about relax, chill, Listen to your life. Learn to trust and be not afraid. Learn to hold your life with a loose grip and above all things, learn to let go of the thing that you fear losing the most. So many things I would say to my 20-year-old self and I wonder if maybe that's not a bad model for us to incorporate when it comes to trying to figure out, here I am in this new age, here I am in this new stage of my lifespan, how do I interpret the call of God? Well, maybe we have a conversation with an earlier version of ourselves. Do you remember the thing that you went through five years ago, six months ago? Or maybe for... For you, the thing that you went through was 20 years ago. And you remember how deep the darkness was and you remember the fear, the angst, and you remember what you went through. 
Is it possible to sit with that for just a moment and ask yourself, what was God doing with you during that time? Not did God choose or make that thing happen. I'm not saying that. Sometimes life happens. But as life happened to you six months ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you went through the thing that changed everything, what do you imagine God taught you then? What pattern was it God was trying to break in you so that you would become more open to a trusting relationship with him? What habits, what resistance was God trying to crack through the surface of then? Because my guess is, beloved sisters and brothers, young and old, whatever it was then, (laughs) it's the same thing now. The same patterns, they chase us all through life. And the same things that God tries to set us free from at 15 and 27 and 38 may be this very same pattern God is attempting to set you free from right now in order to call you to a greater place of availability with him. This is why Psalm 139 is the most beautiful psalm I believe in all the Psalter. It is the most intimate because it's written from the perspective, I believe, of a a man who, who looks back over his life and has learned to listen to his life. And he remembers seasons of brokenness and darkness and questioning and doubt. But as he looks back, he recognizes that every single moment in the turn, every turn in the journey, I couldn't escape that God was with me. And I couldn't escape that he was doing something that only God could do in me. Listen to these words, Psalm 139, verse one. Oh Lord, oh Lord. Lord, you, you have searched me and, and known me all the days of my life. You've, you've, you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Every one of them. You're acquainted with all of my ways. I mean, you... You know all of my ways, all the moments when you provide an opportunity for me to experience life like I've never experienced in you, and you know all of my ways, you know I will find every legitimate reason to say no. You know all my ways. You know the patterns that are so self-destructive in me that no matter what I try to do, I can't get away from them and they just destroy me at every turn in every age and every stage. I keep going back like a, like a dog, says scripture, to its own vomit. I keep going back to the same thing and it destroys me. You're acquainted with all of my ways. You know those seasons when I'm so focused on image that I would rather a thing look good than actually be good. You know all my ways. You know seasons when I have been so afraid, so afraid for my life that I took no chances, I took no risks, and I've been living in a cocoon of my own making. You know all my ways. And you know that ever since the thing happened in 19-whatever, you know that I've been angry ever since. And I've been carrying around bitterness like a cancer eating away at me. You know all my ways. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, oh Lord, you know it completely. You know what I'm gonna say when you provide an opportunity for me to step out in faith before I even say the reason, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me in such knowledge. It's too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. You've been behind me. You've been before me. You were, you knew me before I knew you. You will be here after I've breathed my last. Where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence because I've tried? I've tried. I try to run away from every opportunity that you have to set me free and I go back and yet you're there. If if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the furthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you because you know, Lord, those seasons in which it was so dark that I couldn't see my hand in front of my face and yet you were with me in the shadows because to you darkness is as light and what you were teaching me is to learn how to walk with you in the dark. But it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. Before I was even born into an environment that shaped me to take on the personality that I took on, before I was ever in a social setting that taught me to put on the kind of body armor I need to survive in this world, before you knew my unformed substance and you know what's capable in me beneath the surface. Oh, oh, you knew in my unformed substance, you, you, you saw it all. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. And then here it is. I've listened to my life. I've looked back. I've taken inventory. I've talked to my 20-year-old self. I've tried to talk to my 90-year-old self. And look, I come to the end. I am still with you. I can't escape him. No matter what I've done to try to run from his call or avoid the risk of becoming available to him, he is relentless with me and keeps pursuing me. Yes, the older we get, the calling gets nuanced and we express our calling in different ways, but what never changes is the call of God on our lives. When I was in Tennessee, There was a couple in the church named Nina and Iowa Hamby. They were sisters. They never married, never had children. They were about 90 years old. They lived in a little two-bedroom house, tiny little house on Ohio Avenue, just a couple of blocks from the church. In their day, they were very active in their church. They did everything, but they could not, for years now, they could not do the things that they used to do. They stayed mainly in their home, 
and I would go and visit them and talk to them. And I learned from my very first visit with them in their house that their house was like an oven. I don't care if it was winter, summer, springtime, or harvest, or whatever, there were like 14 space heaters all around the tiny living room, and as soon as I'd show up, I'd begin to just sweat, hot. And I also learned that when I showed up at the Hamby's house, I had to begin, as soon as I stepped in the door, I had to begin trying to leave because we would talk all afternoon. So one day I make a visit and I'm there and it's hot and I'm shedding ties and and taking coats off and I'm just beating up with sweat and we're having a great conversation. And we were there for about an hour. After about an hour, we had talked about the church, we had read passages of scripture, we had prayed together about some stuff. And then, Nina, leans over to Iowa in what she thought was a whisper. (laughs) Because sometimes we're louder than we think we are. And she says, go in the back and get him some money. I'm like, oh, I felt awful. I felt like that's not why I'm here. I'm not here to like collect your tithe or something. I'm here to just care for you. And, and so, but I, I kept quiet because, and so Iowa gets up slowly from the seat, gets her walker, been there now about an hour 15. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> and I heard, Clank, clank, shuffle, shuffle. Clank, clank, shuffle, shuffle. Clank, clank, for what felt like four days. (laughs) After about the fourth day, I heard her coming back. She comes back, sits down on the couch, puts the walker down. She sits down, takes a breath. And she says to me, I hear that the young people are coming back to the church. And I hear that the children are growing. We can't do much like we used to because we're old. But we can do this. And she hands me a $10 bill. It was gold. And I knew what I had to do in that moment. Not resist, not say you keep it, not say, but in that moment recognize what was happening. And I said to her, I said, Nina, Iowa, we are so blessed that you're a part of this church. Thank you for doing what you can do. And I heard the psalmist in Psalm 92 echo in my heart. They still bear fruit in their old age. They will stay fresh and green. Beloved, it doesn't so much matter what we do in the name of Jesus. What matters is that we do it in the name of Jesus. 